minds are so powerful that what we focus on reverberates through every aspect of our lives. So why not see what happens when we put our attention on all the good things people are doing? Join me for the good with Teresa G as we start a ripple effect by focusing on all the greatness in the world. I started listening to Keith and Rodney's podcast, More in Common, in 2018. What really stood out to me was the fact that they would have guests on their shows with all sorts of opinions. And regardless of their personal opinions, they always hold a compassionate, respectful space while inspiring spirited yet extremely productive conversations with their guests. Keith and Rodney have the very unique gift of offering their guests and listeners a safe place to have hard but socially enriching conversations. Listening to their podcast has been a breath of fresh air for me over the years, so I'm extremely excited to have both Rodney and Keith here today. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Welcome, well, welcome, We are excited to be here. Uh, that, that, I don't know how to uh, Like, how can to I, can we that. take that intro and put it into our podcast? <laughs> like, that was I, amazing. Thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome. Wow. You're so welcome. I'm, I love what you guys really are so talented in so many ways. Um, and we're just going to sort of dwell into that. But first I want to ask you guys, how did you guys ever meet? Mm -hmm. Uh, we've known each other for over 18 years. We met at Purdue university. We were neighbors at, at, at the, um, the hilltop, the hilltop, uh, apartments, student housing, student apartments. Yeah. And, uh, Keith was moving. It was, I think I was already moved in or I was moving in and Keith was moving in with his girlfriend at the time. And I did what I do. And I said, hello, and found, interestingly enough, some commonality. We like drinking. And, uh, <laughs> and I, and my girlfriend was 21 at the time. She was 21. So, and I had a moving truck. Yeah. Or you had, I don't even know who had the No, truck. you had the moving truck. I've thought about it because we told the story so poorly so many times. Um, <laughs> you did have the moving truck. And I do, I like, I have this vivid memory of like walking out my door as you were walking out your door. And it was just like, a, hey, hey, what's going on? And we went, and I literally do not remember. We got, we got to the liquor store. I remember that. I remember, and, I actually remember walking around the liquor store. Yeah. And then I remember leaving and like i don't remember what we did no nope. like it's not like we had started i just don't i don't have a memory of the rest of that other than just hanging out and yeah. uh wait yeah, so the you, rest was history you guys walked out of your front door and then you were like let's go to the liquor store yeah i mean <laughs> essentially <laughs> i guess that is i mean yeah, that college era yeah, yeah. And it, and it was the week before college, like it was that whole move in week before classes started yeah. and everything and before roommates were fully in. So everybody was still moving in. Yeah. So, so what yeah. attracted you guys to continue building that relationship? Wow. I don't know that I've ever thought about that. A couple things about Keith. One, I think... <laughs> on a kind of somewhat of a, a comedic, but also very true standpoint. Keith is, Keith is, I don't know if you've ever listened to Dave Chappelle, but like Keith is the white dude that always hung out with black dudes in college. Like <laughs> there was us and Keith and like a couple other white guys that hung out with us. But like, um, 
like he was just one of the one of the one of us like and and I kind of got that feel I can I can conversate with anybody and I could have that interaction that I had with Keith with anybody but what continued it is just like his personality and I think what's grown into what we do now is just even I think and I'm guessing this happened during our drinking session that night we probably disagreed on a lot of things, but it was always a respectful thing where it was like, I'm interested in learning more or talking to you about this again. It was never a, mm, yep, we're done. Mm-hmm. Like, we see this differently kind of thing. Yeah. And I would say, so I'm more of an introvert than extrovert, more of an outgoing introvert by definition. And I don't really do well with small talk. Um, Rodney does extremely well with small talk. That's interesting because um, I hate small talk. Did but you, know you do really well with it. I don't do well with it. I, I I get bored. And it's not like I'm bored of the other person, but I want the conversation to go somewhere. And with Rodney, like I like talking about stuff. I've always liked talking about stuff. And he liked talking about things too. And so we talked about just a lot of stuff. So it just kept... And then, you know, we just, we just liked each other. We hung out. We had common interests. We liked flag football. We, you know, weren't interested in being in fraternities. And we just, we just, just we bonded. And then just a, we were just able attending to their go parties deeper. and drinking their alcohol. Yeah. But. We, we definitely liked doing that. <laughs> and then we just, yeah. I mean, it, for me, it was, it was a big thing. Like we could, we would talk about all things all the time, wherever we were. And it never, like, no matter how we agreed or disagreed, it didn't matter. It just, it, it, there was always something to, to talk about. And we, we built a really strong foundation of friendship based on that. Even though, heck, I moved to Rochester, New York after college. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Chicago. Rodney moved to Chicago for two years, then moved to LA. And now I live in Cleveland. So the majority of our friendship has actually not been in the same area truth and how do you guys so how did you keep it going all that time you guys would call and have these conversations yeah yeah i yeah, mean there were and, periods of time where we didn't talk oh sure there's those yeah. Um, yeah, but, but in general i mean i like we're working we're doing the more in common thing now which has blossomed into several verticals of business and endeavor but like we've we've tr- <laughs> We've tried to start businesses before, and that's been a thing that's kept us connected. Like we, I think we both, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of kindred spirit between us. Uh, so, like this path of of self realization and self actualization and becoming the entrepreneurs that we believe we are. Like we're both in similar places and come from similar places, and I think that probably you know, we're kind of, we kind of help each other along. So that that's yeah. part of it. I mean, our friendship is it just, and I talked to, I talked to Rodney second most to my wife. Um, and I live with my wife. So <laughs> yeah, I wanted um, to say you guys are like, you know, <laughs> sort of married. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and yeah. I think, you know, there, there've been a lot of things that brought us back together, um, after I moved to Rochester, but at the end of the day, like our friendship has just always been strong and, the, that bond there is just, it's, I guess, something we've never talked about before, but it just kind of is. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, I feel very fortunate to have it. Yeah. Everybody should have a friend like this. 
Yeah. And the interesting thing to me is that you guys have a unique, your relationship is unique in a way that you're saying that even in college, you would have conversations and you wouldn't agree. You didn't necessarily agree with each other and that would be okay. Because often we as humans like to hang out with people that agree with us, or maybe that's evolved over time, but, and that's really unique thing about you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I remember working during college. Like I worked at AT AT&T and Best Buy. Like I I remember specifically being in the lunchroom at AT AT&T. We were talking, probably planning the evening's events or the weekend or whatever. And I remember having a conversation about gay marriage in which we both disagreed with each other's viewpoints at the time. Like that was, that was like a random casual conversation for us. And I think it's funny you say that to interrupt you. It's, I never worked at AT&T or Best Buy, but we would still hang out in the lunchroom. Um, I remember <laughs> those conversations. <laughs> I remember those conversations being in the gym because it was a series of that conversation. But it's funny. I never knew you remembered it from there because my well, memory of like it when is I, we were in on the, the gym. Yeah. Oh, yeah. on the phone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I would still go and hang out at Best Buy with him at the kiosk Aww. while he was selling cell phones. But yeah, I remember those conversations in the gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have them in the gym. Yeah, yeah. That same very conversation. Yeah. It is unique. I mean, I think it existed in the rest of our friend group to a degree, but um, we've taken it to another level. So I, yeah, I I guess it is unique. And you know what? It is unique. And that's why we are trying to be more public about it and how we have conversations because we think that more people could do it. It's not that hard, actually. You know, it's it's kind of the it speaks to one of the fundamental components of why we are doing what we're doing is like connection between people isn't about the thoughts that individuals have in so many walks of life, in so many ways. And that's the way I grew up. I mean, that's the way I understood connections to be. And that's the way I perceived them all up until, you know, the last five, six years where politics and the, the the information is so much more accessible. All of a sudden we're judging people by the thoughts that they have rather than the people that they are. And Rodney, our friendship is based on the connection that we have as as humans, even if we disagree or have disagreed on some very polarizing issues. And uh, we're able to not anchor on on that because the intent behind the thought isn't to alienate or diminish the other person um you know i'm I'm sure if if i came at rodney and was like you know hey um you know i I don't understand what's wrong with slavery that might have more of a dividing effect than (laughs) than you know gay marriage but uh um it was uh i think that's kind of the 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 crux of it for us and what we're guy. trying to expose right to other people what inspired you guys to start the more in common movement you know was there political events that happened or oh yeah right. uh, colin colin kaepernick uh <laughs> decided to disrespect the american flag by kneeling uh no that's not my take on it but he the colin kaepernick situation uh happened and we had a conversation about it and we disagreed. Imagine that we disagreed and we had probably a week or two weeks worth of conversations about it. And 
came to actually an understanding, I think we're largely in the same place or were at, at that time, like largely in the same place at the end of those conversations. But that was never the goal of the conversations. Um, but it's just, it just started off. Keith hit me up and was like, Hey, Colin Kaepernick kneeling at the national anthem. How do you feel about it? And so I vividly remember every piece of this situation where I was when I hit him up the first time I hit him up. So this was before all of the narratives were spun because, you know, about a year and a half later, like when it first happened, there was in the sports world, it was a big deal. And then it became a bigger deal after Trump got elected. And it just became just a a wildly uncontrolled narrative, regardless of what position you were on. But at the time, it wasn't that. He had sat for the national anthem and then kneeled uh, just a couple of times. And then I saw it on ESPN. And I was standing in my bedroom in Chicago in my house. And I I was like, Rodney, I I need to talk about this. And he wasn't in a place. he, He wasn't actually, I don't think, I mean, he knew it was going on sort of because he's a Niners fan, but he just wasn't there. And he's like, yeah, let me hit you up later. And so well, I was, yeah, I, I remember this. I was, I was walking into a lunch with a client. I had seen that it was reported on like on ESPN that morning, but I hadn't watched it and I hadn't really thought about it until you asked me about it. Right. And my first reaction seeing it was all of the narrative of how dare you kneel be honest. I, 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 sometimes shame comes into play when I tell this story, um, but it shouldn't, but it does. Um, but how dare you kneel to the protection of the, the flag that gives you the opportunity to earn millions of dollars as an athlete? Like, and then I had a lot of that narrative in my initial reaction as a personal, personal matter. Um, before it, it wasn't shaped by anybody else. And so Rodney and I ended up having an hour and a half long conversation to which he gave me all kinds of amazing perspective. And in that perspective, it shaped the way I saw it. So we talk about coming to the middle on it. Like I went full to the other end of saying, yeah, like, okay, he kneels. I understand why he's kneeling now. Rodney gave me some information that helped me process it in a different way. And, you know, I, that's ultimately how that, that, uh, conversation happened, but it was just a respectful discussion of, of opinion and thought and made it an intellectual exercise. And I think that's ultimately the piece of this. And I'm not to ramble that for us, it's anytime we talk about something we may be pretty opinionated about it, but we're never in a position such that we're not hearing what the other person has to say, even if it contradicts the way we think. And I think the last piece, like when we, when we came to the end of this, we said, oh, I, I said we should start a podcast detailing <laughs> right. difficult conversations. It's like we've iterated on what we do. And it's a little different than the original, but people need to know how to do this and we do it and we do it naturally. And so let's create a thing that we, that we now know the things, the mission of that thing is to anchor humanity in compassionate conversation. And that was the birth. So to which I responded, what's a podcast? (laughs) Cause I had no idea. (laughs) This was in 2016. Yeah. 2016. I remember that. 
Yeah. I I have, you know, I I love love that tagline of anchoring humanity in compassionate conversation. I love that so much. And I I wonder what can you guys sort of go into what that looks like for you and how it benefits us as humanity? Yeah. Um, I, so for me personally, like in my kind of my own personal philosophy and, and what beliefs, I think that if we insert compassion and, and I'm starting to uh, say compassion or empathy because people look at them differently. And I think they're both extremely powerful and extremely good. If whichever one you can do, understand, relate to, like if we can insert that into as many situations as possible, I think those situations end up better. To Keith's point about human connection, like it's awesome to be able to understand where somebody's coming from. But even if we can't, if we can just say, man, that's a human and they deserve my best. They deserve the best. They deserve more just for being, not for any other reason. And this is why I personally stick with compassion because although I'm a bit empathic and I, I get into people's feelings um, personally, it's still hard to connect with those. And it's really, it's a bit easier for me to just say they're a person, they deserve more, they deserve better. And doing that, I think will just, it'll, it'll make our relationships better. It'll make our dealings better. And it's a, it's just a, a super strong foundation to start from. Yeah. And for me, it ties directly to the name of the business and the organization um, more in common. You know, we were talking about this earlier today to my bones, both from a knowledge perspective, whether you're talking the evolution of, of humankind, like believe that we do all have more in common than different. We may think differently. We may have different experiences and we may have a lot of variables along the way that diverge away from the core of us as humans. But at the end of the day, we, we are the same and it is language. It is communication, whether it's nonverbal, whether it's verbal, whether it's you know sign language or whatever it may be. That's the way we connect with each other. That is the way, only way, whether it's in text or, or in person, we connect through language, we connect through conversation. And if we are able to drive more compassion, as Rodney put it, you know, empathy, compassion, depending on where you fit, um, you know, what makes or resonates with you most in that, in, in that, in those variables. But if you introduce some empathy and some compassion towards the other person you're communicating with and you're having a conversation with, you're bound to find the commonalities, even if you are so far different on the, the surface and experienced perspective. Like you're bound to find commonalities as just plain humans. Um, but it, you asking that question makes me wonder when you read that, what is it? What does it mean for you, man? You just did that thing. We did. We do this like twin brain thing. <laughs> I swear, I was about to ask you that question. You guys, and I knew you guys were going to have questions. So I, <laughs> to me, you know, I just take it at a very like I. I've said this on the podcast before. Ever since I became a mom, 
um, my approach to people has changed so much because when I'm having a conflict with someone or I am, we're in like a really intense moment, I always go back to like, this is someone's baby. (laughs) Mm. And all of a sudden everything is like, for me, it brings it back down to the more in common. Like this is someone's baby. This is, you know, this someone has a mother. And for some reason for that, that helps me bring it back down to the place of, you know, we are on equal grounds. Like right now we're just having a, a conflict, but you know, we are of the same breath and I, and that's where it reminds me. And when, before I was a mom, I was much more fiery in my, uh, responses. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a gift to become a mom in so many ways, but that's one of the biggest gifts is that it really is a lot easier for me to, to locate that more in common with people. And then comes the, you know, finding the commonalities in just, yeah, uh, the way we're we're speaking and things like that. But the interesting thing to me about you guys is that that you continue to take the conversation. Like you continue even and when a conversation is uncomfortable, and you might not agree that e- with your relationships and even in your podcast, you continue the conversation. And a lot of us, I think, are trying to stay out of t- tough conversations anymore. So if we disagree with someone, we just never bring that topic up again. What's your thoughts about that? It's what our brains are built to do to avoid the uncomfortable situations. Like our brain is built to keep us safe. And uh, so it's human. I think that's why you hear all the platitudes and the sayings around, you know, that the growth is in the discomfort and the, 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 win, the lesson, all the, all that kind of stuff. Like it comes from the discomfort because you got to go to that place in order to seek, to find something new and to challenge the brain, the ego, whatever it is that's saying, nah, we're good. Like they don't agree. They're a moron. They're a insert expletive, which I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss, so I won't. Yeah, you are uh, allowed to cuss. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the one that cusses between us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's my thought, is that our brain's built to, to protect us and keep but us how away do you from guys, our How have you guys, you guys haven't, you know, held in those boundaries? Like what ha- pushes you guys to continue the conversation between yourselves or between yeah. your guests? So this is a really interesting question for me. I fail at this all the time, yeah. especially with family. I have family that's on the other side of the of the spectrum politically for me or Don't maybe farther, all? you know, to <laughs> the others. And like, it doesn't impact our relationship. There are two components of it for me. One is curiosity. If I can drive, be in a conversation, and this is what drives a lot of it for Rodney and I is just, there's a mutual curiosity to what the other person has to say. So we often, not always, but often feel heard and valued in the discussion. There are times where, you know, you're in that conversation and the curiosity is there. So it allows me to engage in it. And I want to understand what you think or why you think. I have a harder time with family than with non-family because, you know, family. It's just rooted with all kinds of bias and underlying experiences that drive you to feel a certain way when you're in the discussion. 
So it just takes, I mean, it, it, it takes a lot of practice and it takes a desire to break through that underlying circumstance that's allowing your ego to say your thoughts, opinions, and ideas are more important than what the other person's thoughts, opinions, and ideas are simply because you devalue them. You think they're dumb. And what I allow that to let me do in those conversations with family is anchor on different points of topic. If politics comes up, it comes up, and I work to navigate that as effectively and as deeply as possible. I try to just navigate the conversation and keep it out of the components that are, you know, if you're talking to a Trump supporter, I want to talk policy and I want to understand what you think about things, not about him. Because once he gets mentioned, it completely devolves the conversation. Um, mm. it, it just becomes a it becomes a mutiny almost. And it's like, you know, I don't like him, you like him, whatever the case may be. And then you lose context and you lose connection. So I try to to navigate it in that in that way. So I'm not sticking myself in that place of yeah, no, we're not going anywhere with this. Like I just try to anchor on curiosity and try to anchor on the connection between the human versus that specific topic. And if yeah. we have to revisit another time, we'll we'll talk about it another time. Maybe now is not the day. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a so a couple things come to mind, especially from what you said. But one, like if I go bring Rachel down here right now, she'll tell you how I failed yesterday and got really defensive about a comment she made and shut down. Like I just not no helpful response. Um, and I, and that's, that is something that happens. And I, and I, a couple of things I, I think around that with family, uh, something you just said, Teresa, about seeing other people as a baby. Uh, we had a guest, Kim Cavallo who said that when she gets really frustrated with her husband, she just sees him as a baby. And then she's like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, like she just has those warm, loving feelings towards him and then she can't continue to be mad and then she can work through whatever. Um, and that, when I remember to do that, is actually extremely helpful for my wife or other family members like my parents. The other thing I think is context. At work, when we're hosting our podcast, like it's almost like putting, for me, it's almost putting on a suit or a mask. It's like, all right, this is where I am. So the context is I am that like I'm extra forgiving or whatever for conversations. And so it just makes it easier in my, and for me to engage in those situations, but it's not a constant thing. the other, the last piece to this is picking my shots. Like we don't do interviews every week. We do interviews in certain periods and then we stop and we have to recharge. Like Keith is far more, well, not far more. He's more introverted than I am. I toe the line between introvert and extrovert. And the key in it for both of us is recharging. It takes it does take a lot of energy to engage in, even if it's just a good conversation like this, this is a great conversation or, or talk or, and it's like, I'll be drained after this. I will need to go do things to recharge. But when I don't, or if I go get into a heavy conversation with my wife after this, I'm at risk for messing that up terribly. Keith, what I really, really took away from that is, and I love this, is to focus on not maybe the person in political, in a political sense, don't focus on the, the person, but fo- focus on the policies. 
And I really like that because often I notice a lot of confliction starting once a person is named. Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, because you have all this like emotional baggage about that person, even though we've really never met the person, but we've created this whole, you know, whole whole thing about this person. Yeah. And it can be good or it can be bad. And then Rodney, what I really, really take away from that conversation, which I want to say is, is really advanced in some areas is that putting, you know, knowing how to set yourself up to have better conversations, whether it's knowing that you need a space after a certain conversation or for a certain day, you need space because it's just one of those days. And just to sort of refill your cup before you approach any more conversations. Yeah. yeah that, that self-awareness component plays such a huge role in being able to, to stretch yourself beyond the comfort zone and being able to like like I said I'm I'm not perfect at this especially when those those politically charged conversations come up because I I like politics I like to pay attention to it and I get all stuck in my own opinions about it sometimes and like understanding that about myself um also understanding you know, along that line is how you effectively communicate. This is actually something that's helped like take politics out of it, take difficult, like think relationships and where you have deeper connections. Like Rodney is better when he has time to write things down and process it. I don't like to write things down. I like to think my way through something, whether it's an opinion. And sometimes when Rodney writes his thoughts down, I read them based on the way I think about them and it can create conflict, but we understand that about each other so we can navigate through it. So where we often get stuck socially in these difficult discussions is we end it with the conflict. Sometimes the conflict is just the beginning Mm -hmm. because what the conflict does is it level sets that something should be depending on the relationship, right? If it's just a stranger down the street, you might not ever see them again. So you need to wipe your consciousness clear of it. But generally speaking, something should be reconciled here. We are now on a page that we can determine that something needs to happen. So start building, you know, putting your putting your ammo together, put your your chest together, figure out what your arguments are going to be in whatever that may be, but enter it looking to receive more information from the other person than you have already built up in your armory. That way we are now in a place where we can have that conversation and we've, we've, we're working past that conflict rather than ending at the conflict and saying, yeah, hands up, can't do anything with this person. I'm going to move on with my life. So when you, so when you're having a conversation I take it that you're not, neither one of you, are you, when you're having a conflict, are you going in there to try to change the other person's opinion? Or are you going in there to, like you said, just said to collect more information? It is not my job in any context to change someone's mind. It is my job in every context to understand their opinion opinion, like their data, 
their information to provide mine and hopefully be influenced by each other. There's a lot of information out there and none of us know it all. And it's just the reality. None of us know it all. So if I go into a conversation thinking I have all of the data and then someone like this happens with my parents often because they're, they listen to different news sources than I do. And sometimes they bring something up that's actually very relevant that I'd never heard of before. So I'll take it and I'll process it and I'll think about it and I'll let it inform my opinion in one way or another, whether it strengthens it or whether it, you know, you know, takes me out of my own opinion. And then my, you know, in that conversation, I provide data and information that I know and hopefully that helps inform whatever opinion evolution that they have going forward but I'm not going to try to change your mind because if I try to change it, then I'm telling you you're wrong and thus fight or flight's going to kick in. You're either going to shut down and not talk to me or you're going to fight and harden your opinions and it's not going to move the needle on any direction. I really value that information. I like, I really appreciate that. And um, so Rodney. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> ideally I would not be trying to change people's opinions. Uh, realistically i am rife with uh what is that word oh yeah hypocrisy <laughs> and um re- in the last year or so i've really tried to adopt a framework of sharing my point of view instead of kibitzing and telling you what you should do uh especially Thanks, unsolicited and and mixed result i think i've done decent i don't know um I haven't like measured it. Uh, I try. So like, and, and then at the same time, do that? I'm very pragmatic in general. There's not a lot of things that I actually hold to be absolute truths. So I'm generally actually searching in, in most conversations because I, I, I don't know the answer or I, and I'm willing to, to openly state, I don't know the answer. There are moments when uh, emotions get the better of me and, and I think I know the answer. Or I want to, you know, act like I know the answer. And so I'm going to make that be known. Uh, <laughs> that is uh, something that, so like, how do I, I don't know. I feel like I have just, I'm kind of blessed and fortunate that I've got people around me that are willing to check me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. when I when I step out of step out of that box and and I I too strongly state what uh what I actually know or don't know that that helps but and then and then my my searching which is interesting you know my pragmatism is um actually I think a great source of annoyance for many people really close to me because I can play any side of everything and I do and it often comes off as like, oh, is he just being contrarian to be contrarian? Which yes. There were points in my life <laughs> where the answer was yes. <laughs> Has not been true for some time. Oh, that's the other thing about family history. Like we think we know how how somebody said something based on how they said it the last 10 times or 10 years ago. That's why it's so hard to grow around family or with family. And now I will say, I will, I will argue tooth and nail that we do have more in common than we don't. Um, so I would go into a, a conversation trying to change someone's mind there, but that might be the extent of it. 
So one thing that really fascinates me about you guys is um, on your podcast, it's very obvious that you guys are always trying to grow emotionally, spiritually, and often physically. And I wanted to just sort of ask you where that comes from. Where does that focus on developing yourself into better people come from? Does it come from your upbringing? Where does that come from? Partially, there's this, what is that? What is the thing that everybody says on their resume? Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a learner or like, I love to learn. I, I don't, I don't remember how it said, but like, there's an aspect of, I actually really enjoy learning, which I think most people actually do when they connect to a method of learning that, that they like. A lot of it for me is rooted in lack of self-confidence or has been rooted in that. And it has just driven me to that plus perfectionism. It's a weird mix uh, has, has driven me to seek more, seek better, whatever the hell that is like without, which is funny. Cause like I was seeking more and better without defining more and better, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of a, kind of an insane combination of things like looking back at it. It's hard to define it if you're seeking it because then you, you know, um, I would have agreed with that. I would say that now like success for me is this, the process of seeking. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's winning. I think that's like showing up and, and seeking is the win. And, and I leave it at that now. So I think differently on it now. I don't know. Keith, or like, no, it's funny. You said words I was going to say, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that. I'm glad you threw in the lack of self-confidence because I would agree in the annals of my lifetime, um, that has actually held me back. But uh, underlying that I've only learned recently in talking to my therapist, like I am a perfectionist and in being a perfectionist and not having confidence, it's like, okay, if you're not going to be perfect, then then don't do it. But I've had big moments in my life that have propelled me in a direction that moved me forward and then it flattens out. Over the last few years, especially since we started this, that perfectionism to be the best version of myself every day and feeling confident that I'm working towards that, my my whole psychological framework on this has changed and evolved over time through a lot of work, quite honestly, like it didn't just happen, but over the last couple of years. So it's like each and every day, it's just, these are the things I want to be. This is what I want to be. This is what I see myself as. And so, you know, I have a personal philosophy. It's anchor on the right thing. It's been like that since before um, Frozen 2, do the next right thing. But um, nah, you I, stole it. You stole it from Anna, bro. Come on. Just what, had to let us know, huh? <laughs> I hear it all the time now. And it's like, oh, you're, you're stealing it. Um, but like anchor on the right thing. Like just be the person you know yourself to be and I'll fail. I don't let that affect me nearly as much. So I think the perfectionism and desire to be the vision of this myself that I want to be just keeps me driving to to be better at whatever it is and you know be be better at this thing that we're doing and it ultimately allows me to see when I'm not being better and especially at home where I think you know I fail most often 
constantly striving. It's just that, that I think that's what it ultimately comes down to for me as well. I got to add a couple of things. One, uh, shame has been a big component of it for me. Been a lot of, uh, yeah, there's been a fair amount of just like big fuck ups in my life that have just like, and even little ones where I just felt like I was not deserving of anything good or better. And I was just not, not only did I fuck up, but I was a fuck up. And so I had to work my way back into the good graces of whatever, like Mm. including myself. And so that's been a huge driver. Uh, and, And I would say a negative driver. Like it's, I guess had some positive outcomes, but it's not a, I don't, I don't think the best way to go about it. I will also add that, um, having children has been extremely accelerating for me on the process because what I don't want is like the sh- like the stuff that I realize now, like the shame and this lack of self-confidence, like I don't want that stuff to grow on them. And I, I want them to, to, to excel like, like anybody with children does. And so like doing the work and doing more work and, and, and striving to be better so that they can see it and then they can be better is a big thing. And then the last thing is how wildly uncomfortable it is for me to talk about myself. This entire, like, this is probably the third podcast interview, like conversation interview we've done. It's so uncomfortable. Like I'm doodling and I am fidgeting. <laughs> are you sweating? Uh, there's my palms are a little moist. Yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, I want to ask you so many questions because I would oh rather God, I so many questions. Yeah. I would rather deflect back onto you so you could talk than me talk, which is partially probably why I'm really good at connecting with people because I can <laughs> pull out all kinds of things. So and I'm an only child, so I'm really good at talking about myself. <laughs> but I have to I have to also add that the children component of things. I mean, you alluded to it earlier, Teresa. Like that it it's game changing. I mean, when when you think about our origin story as a podcast, Rodney asked me this in what, September, October, do you want to start a podcast? Sure, cool, sounds good. Um, had my first born that December, Rodney came back and asked me about it. And I was like, yeah, I'm game. Like, let's go, let's do it. The inspiration to be the best version of me, whatever that looks like on any given day, is fueled so much by being an example to my kids. So they don't have to figure it out when they're 37. Watching your videos on Instagram, you guys had some great videos. And then in your podcasts and just watching you guys over the years, it's always just really, you guys have like a, one of the, a little soft spot in my heart because you guys are Mm -hmm. continuously working and and thriving to do better and to really understand yourselves. And I just want to applaud you guys because that's not so common. You know, I mean, maybe it's with the people, you know, I, most of the people I know are doing that, but when I start interacting with people out there or observing there's, that's not, you know, the road everyone's taking. So, and I honestly believe healing yourselves is healing the rest of us and healing the planet, you know, because it's like a ripple effect. So I really want to applaud you guys for that because it comes across very clearly in everything that you guys send out into the world. So I appreciate that. And I applaud that. That means a lot. Thank you. 
Really yeah, appreciate that. Lot. I wanted to talk to you guys a little, I wanted you guys, to, you to talk to my listeners and sort of tell us a few key steps for how to, you've been telling us this whole interview, but is there certain things that you would suggest that maybe they can just start thinking about as they navigate tough conversations? Here's the fun, fun part about our, you know, we do have this podcast. It's an amazing podcast and people really get to see us put into practice the things that we try to teach um, as we have a corporate consulting practice as well. The intent behind our content is really something that we've really realized over time is there is a, you know, I mean, we do a lot of uh, research and we try to read up on all this stuff as well. So, so we can learn from others and a lot of what other people are doing, like Brene Brown, Dolly Chug, our man, Graham Bodie out of the University of Mississippi and listening. Don't, but, don't forget Michael Gervais. And Michael, Dr. Michael Gervais, you gotta love him. But uh, Simon Sinek, man, keep throwing them out we there. We could just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, like writing some of these down. I've never heard of some but of these. The, the, the thing that we really came to realize, like in all of this amazing work that exists with how to listen better or how to navigate a conversation or how to connect or you know be more empathetic, like there's so much great work out there what we really realized is our sweet spot, what we're really good at and what we really see as missing in the education of it all is the space. Ensuring that when someone enters your space and you're about to have a conversation, that even if you're tense and you're feeling like, I don't know how this is going to play out, you still feel safe enough to engage. That both parties are creating that space so that all of those tools become easier to use. And, um, you know, we've built out uh, an approach, the, the, we call it the more approach to creating a safe space. Didn't think we would be talking about this, but I'm really glad you asked because, you know, we like it. But really it comes down to you know, meeting people where they are, knowing that people come from different backgrounds, different experiences, different worldviews, being open to listen more, and really just opening yourself up to 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 hear, to listen without talking, without interrupting. Um, I'll pause and let Roddy finish it. <laughs> R, so M O R, remove intent. So you know, really, I think the first way Keith and I both heard it was assume positive intent, and it's a very noble and an amazing goal. It's very difficult for me personally to assume positive intent when I feel slighted or wronged. And uh, it's a little bit easier for me to get to just wondering, which gets into E, which is embrace curiosity. And if you can be in a space and just wonder what the person across from you or the people across from you are, who they are, what they are, what, 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 what they said is actually meaning versus telling a story and saying you know without asking them. Um, so that's the process, the more process. That is literally what we teach uh, for creating that safe space, creating a safe space. And a big part of it, which would be, I think, what started me on this whole journey five, six years ago, 
would be breathing. I would recommend everybody invest time in learning to breathe, like a full deep belly breath, learning how to, to hold it and, and inhale, exhale, inhale, exhaling slower. It's just physiologically, it does so many things for you. Uh, mentally, it does so many things. And it's just, it's, it's helped me in this conversation as I've had my nerves. It's helped me with difficult conversations with my wife, with work, with breathing has, has, and it's free. Like we can all do it. It's, it's, it's a, it's an innate gift that it turns out most of us hyperventilate most of the time. We, we take these shallow breaths and we put ourselves in these physiologically heightened states. You know, that's, that's something that I would highly recommend people look into or think about. Yeah. I think, you know, the last thing I'll say on it and the, and the reason we've narrowed it and we've come up with this is we look to anchor on things that you as an individual can do without concern for what the other person is going to say or do right? Like conversation tips, how to respond, questions to ask. These are all amazing things that exist out there. Listening is one of the hardest ones. And that is, you know, one that there's a ton of information out there on ways you can listen more. And one basic way is just set a timer and don't say anything and listen to whatever the other person has to say. At the end of the day, these are things that like meeting people where they are, that's you, that's, that's on you as, a, as an individual, not, it doesn't matter what the other person says in that case, like it's up to you psychologically to work through and navigate through and be aware of yourself emotionally, removing intent, same thing, telling yourself to remember to listen, open to listen more and engaging with curiosity. Like these are all things for you to create space for the other person to then feel comfortable. So when it comes time to respond, to react, to have that further conversation, they feel more comfortable listening to you, hearing you, and ultimately engaging with you. And it's a back and forth. And it can break down real, real easy, but we all got to give it a little effort. That's pretty powerful. But you know, I love that you're just giving us things we can work on with ourselves. You know, we're independent of the other person and the breathing thing, just you saying breathe more made me feel better. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah really I should remember to reminded breathe. Reminded me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that feels so good. So everyone who comes on the show, I ask them a question and it is, what do you guys do every single day to support your best self? A journal. Thank you, Rodney, for the tip. <laughs> And, and it's hard for me to even say every single day. Uh, there are three things for me. I journal. I exercise. I exercise six days a week. And I drink water. First thing in the morning, especially. If I, if I don't exercise and it's on any given day other than the off day, I'm miserable. If I don't drink my water first thing in the morning and just as much as I can, I'm miserable. And if I don't journal, my headspace is totally off because I do a few things in my journal to kind of level set ground myself and to list out the things that I need to accomplish for the day. So it allows me to, to know what I'm going into and, and just get after it. Those would be the three things that I do every day to try and bring my best self. Yeah, mine's changed a little bit with kids. Like I can't 
put it in my journal every day, but there's a couple of things I do. I either write down or I have a conversation with myself about my intent for the day. It's usually something like based on me, like what's, what do I, how do I need to show up or how do I want to show up in the day? Then gratitude. I do, I do gratitude a couple of times a day. I do it in the morning with myself and then either throughout the day or at dinner with my family. Uh, and then I, uh, map out my, like, I'm really bad, even with my calendar, I'm really bad at tracking events. And so I just have to write them out in my journal. So I know like what meetings are coming up. And then last, uh, the next piece of that is writing down what I'm going to do to take care of my body, my being, my overall balance and my business throughout the day. Um, and it could be just like balance could be as simple as giving my wife a massage or stretching, um, reading. I don't know, like it, it doesn't have to be complicated, but those are the things that I do. And then I guess it's so, I didn't even think about it. Like I wake up and drink for 20, 48 ounces of water. The water is just the first thing I do. And, and like that right there, the water thing that I've been doing that for, I don't know, eight, nine years like that. That I, I stopped drinking coffee for a year because that was enough. Just drinking some cool water in the morning. But yeah, that's, those are the things. That's a good Whoa. question. Well, you guys, I like that question. That is awesome and perfect because I need to start drinking more water. That's hmm. what I got out for. That's what I'll take personally from that. Because um, I was actually thinking that this morning. I need to drink more water. So I wanted to finish this conversation um, with a quote that I found on the uh, More in Common Pod uh, website that really spoke to me. And it is, Keith wrote this, people deserve to be heard. People deserve to be understood. We shouldn't fear judgment as we all have a journey littered with mistakes. While we don't always agree, we can at least make an effort to find out why. Something to think about as we go about our conversations for this week. And as always, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Keith and Rodney, for joining us. And for um, Teresa, this was yeah. awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate the time. So thankful, and to all of you guys, thank you so much for your continuous support. I appreciate it so much, and I will talk to you guys all soon. Thank you. I'm Teresa Gabrielle, and you've been listening to The Good with Teresa G. You can follow The Good with Teresa G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, go to the Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation. Thank you for listening.